Morning, everyone. Nice to see you. So we're continuing our series this week, looking at your foundations, based on the church DNA series. As uh, Gary said last week, this book is available at the back. If you didn't do the DNA course and want to know what we're about, our core values and beliefs, you can take this. So this week, we're going to look at serving. Isn't it incredible how the Holy Spirit works? I wasn't due to speak this week. It wasn't planned like that. But it just so happens that I'm speaking on the week when we've got teens tonight. He's got a sense of humour, hasn't he, I think. And already we've heard themes of what Gareth was saying, talking about serving all the way through. I love how he threads everything together. So I'm going to start by asking you some questions. Do we want to see our community come to know Jesus? Yeah, brilliant, okay. Do we want to see our church flourish and grow and make an impact in our community? Yeah, so most of you are on board with that. So do we understand that for those two things to happen, we all need to do our part and serve in some way? Yeah. A bit quieter now, but still yes. Well, that's great. Message complete. Let's go. All right, I better look at a few points with you this morning. But in some respects, I feel like I'm already talking to the converted You may have heard the adage that a typical church has 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Well, I'm pleased to know we are not a typical church. And if you were at the church annual general meeting back in September, you would have heard Gareth telling us that as of September 2023, we have 77% of our church members serving in some way. That is amazing, isn't it? Well done, church family. And I don't want to overlook that this morning. And, you know, it's with a big thank you from a leader here who really appreciates everything people do to make this church work. And I don't want people to think as well, though, that, well, you know, I'm one of those that she mentioned and I do my part. So nothing she's going to say this morning is going to be relevant to me. So I may as well just switch off. This word is not for someone else this morning. It's for you. It's for me, because as individuals, we should always be looking at our lives, looking at our gifts and talents and skills, and seeing if we can use them more or differently. Is there a new area you've grown in, or maybe you've grown more in spiritual maturity and or discipline? Maybe you've become a member now, so you can take on more in church. Maybe you're showing regular commitment now, Or your circumstances have altered, so how or where you can serve has changed. Maybe there are needs around you at the moment that the Lord is asking you to meet for this season. Maybe you're sorted in your practical gifts, but you want to start to develop your spiritual ones, or vice versa. So let's be open and attentive this morning to what the Lord wants to say to us through his word. We're going to look briefly today at why we serve and then how we serve. Now, I've said before, and I'll keep saying it, the godly kingdom, the one that has heavenly principles, is the very opposite, often, to this worldly kingdom that we live in. We need to grasp whose kingdom we're a part of 
and whose authority we come under and then live according to those rules. The world is very much about do what makes you happy, spend time doing what makes you feel good, usually referring to carnal pleasures. Have people in your life who please you. If someone doesn't give you what you need from them or doesn't suit you, you can always delete, cancel or divorce them depending on who they are to you and what platform you interact with them on, including IRL or in real life as us non-Gen Z's referred to it. It's what entertains me, what shall I buy next or try to keep me happy. This society is all me, me, me at the centre. So naturally when we first get saved and put our faith in Jesus or if we haven't matured from correct biblical teaching and discipleship, we can still spend our Christian walk looking at what God can do for us. Well, this is how I feel, Lord, so now I need you to make me feel like this instead, and this is my need, so please give me what I need now. Bless me, prosper me. Why haven't you done this for me yet, Lord? Now, don't get me wrong. Please hear me on this. The Lord absolutely wants you to talk to him about how you're feeling. He wants you to share what's going on in your life, give him the decisions you have to make. He wants to be central in all of that. And he wants to do life with you. He will bless you. He will supply your needs. But to walk properly as a Christian and to live under a spiritual kingdom, the principles aren't about me, me, me. It's about him, him, him. I'll say it again. It's not me, me, me. It's him, him, him. The whole world from the beginning to the end is his story, his narrative, his weaving everything together and working it all out. And we're privileged to be chosen to be a small part of that for a short time on earth and then the rest of eternity. Wow. We call him Lord and King because he's the one ultimately calling the shots. He's the one we bow down and adore. He's the one we worship and honor. He's the one we serve. He gives us gifts and skills and qualities to use so that ultimately we can serve him. I don't know about you, but personally, every now and again, I need that little reminder which pulls me out of self-focus and I need to reframe my life so that I can have it in the proper perspective. As with everything we do, we should firstly look to the best example we have the Son of God, Jesus himself, who came to earth to, amongst other things, to show us how it should be done. And he sets the backdrop beautifully for our lives in Mark 10, 43 to 45, where he declares, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He himself came to serve, and not only that, teaches his disciples that the greatest of them would be the servant. Paul and James in their New Testament writings refer to themselves as servants of God, the best position to have. Why do we serve? Because Jesus saved us from ourselves, saved us from an eternity lost without him. 
loves us more than anything and anyone and demonstrated to us that servant heart and posture and has asked us to. When you are so in love with him and grateful to him, you can't help but want to serve. We do it all for him and the advancement of his kingdom. So how do we serve? Serving should be something we do as individuals in our own lives. The Lord would have placed people and circumstances across our paths so that we can serve him by serving them. <coughs> 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. But then also, being part of a local church family, you will also bring in your gifts and talents, not only to help the church function with day-to-day, week-by-week activities, but also to make it thrive, to help make it a place where people on the outside can see Jesus alive and at work. You'll serve through natural gifts, qualities about your personality that are already implanted, such as kindness, thoughtfulness, generosity, or skills that you've learned to do in life, such as bake amazing cakes, or play an instrument, or teach. Then you also have spiritual gifts given to you by the Lord, which every one of you who is a Christian will have. They may be dormant, or they may be developing right now, but you have them. So let's have a look at what those gifts are. On the DNA course, you might remember helpfully that they were split into three sections. So we've got the motivational gifts, the manifestation gifts, and the ministry gifts. And I could do a whole preach on each one of these. There's so much in there, but I'm literally skimming the surface this morning. But do go away and study these more if you haven't already. So the motivational gifts can be found in Romans 12, 6 to 8, where it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, you might listen to that and think, well, you've just said we should all be serving, but it says there that it's one of the gifts. Well, here it's referring to ministering. The Greek word for ministering is diaconium, where we get the word deacon. So in some church structures, they have the role of deacons, which would be in place mainly, but not exclusively, to minister to the church's physical needs, while the elders or pastors minister to the spiritual needs. So Paul is talking about serving one another in practical ways and helping those in needs. So essentially, when you have this gift, it comes naturally to you to want to meet people's needs. I think many people pick up on the idea that there are gifts such as teaching, leading, or even prophesying. But how many of us consider encouraging others or giving generously as a gift? Barnabas is a New Testament character I love, and his friends actually nicknamed him the encourager. It's so important that we have people in our lives who are cheerleaders, cheering us on, not with a false flattery, but reminding us of and celebrating when they see us practicing the righteous living we've been taught. Giving generously. If you're in a position where you have lots of money, fantastic. 
There are many verses in the Bible that teach on what to do with it, about money itself not being evil, but the love of it, about not storing it up, about using it wisely. And Gareth spoke and given last week, and he mentioned money being mentioned more by Jesus and most other things. You know, you can really bless someone in need, and I know that some of you do. I have seen real acts of kindness with Christmas presents for others, and I know that lots of you give to charities that receive support because of your giving. I'm thankful for successful Christian businessmen and women who are able to fund ministries. People like John Cabrio, along with his family, were campaigners against slavery and devoted themselves to social causes and reform. They use their fortune to benefit their community. Or William Colgate, who tithed more and more and his business succeeded more and more. You might think, well, I haven't got the resources to do anything like that. Well, you know, it's important to tithe with what you do have. But if you have the gift of generosity, it's not all about finances. It can be your time, something as simple as babysitting for someone or cooking a meal for them. I know of people in this fellowship who are generously giving out of what they have in a variety of ways, even by ringing someone up weekly and reading the word together with them is giving of themselves to others. All of these gifts are precious and of value when used to serve others. Then we have the manifestation gifts of 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kind of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determined. You know, we are a Pentecostal church, which means these gifts should be common practice. And looking at the church globally, I wonder if in Britain that is necessarily the case. Anna Jay did give you a description a couple of weeks ago about what a Pentecostal church is. <coughs> but in my research, I found a BBC article on the Pentecostal church. Listen to how it describes it. Pentecostalism is a form of Christianity that emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit and the direct experience of the presence of God by the believer. Pentecostals believe that faith must be powerfully experiential and not something merely found through ritual or thinking. Pentecostalism is energetic and dynamic. Its members believe they are driven by the power of God moving within them. Pentecostal churches stress the importance of conversions that amount to a baptism in the spirit. This fills the believer with the Holy Spirit, which gives the believer the strength to live a truly Christian life. Is that how you identify with your Christian walk? I have to tell you, I challenged myself reading that. You know, 77% of us serve practically. I wonder what the percentage would be spiritually. I think people are sometimes a bit fearful of these gifts, and I can understand that. We must be careful to make sure that they are practiced in line with the word of God 
and that the person through which they are presented is not worshipped or elevated. We must make sure there is not so much a focus on them that we lose the focus on Jesus and the Father and the teaching of the word. But for a church to function fully in the things of the Lord, they are a necessity. How can we fight against the devil who is very much using every spiritual resource he has if we are not equipped supernaturally? Why do you think we read in kings in the Old Testament who made sure they had prophets around them? Pray about these gifts. Try them out with mature Christians supporting you in a safe environment. With them, I feel, comes a responsibility of growing the spiritual fruit in your life too, as you will be representing the Lord. But let's allow the Holy Spirit to give us more than a nice fuzzy tingling feeling when we worship him. Let the Spirit activate us in the gifts he chooses to give us so that we can experience the strength to live a truly Christian life and also impact our community, our nation, Great Britain, as we speak an impact upon people's lives and situations with the presence, insight and power of our living supernatural God. The final section is the ministry gifts of Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now I remembered Hannah Jay showing us a great way to remember these gifts and what they do. So I went back through my notes to find it because I thought it might have been like last year or the year before. Turns out it was November 2020. It wasn't even in person. So you can go back and watch your excellent preach on the gifts on our YouTube channel. But I'm going to pinch, unashamedly, one part now. So using our hands as a demonstration, we can use us to help us remember the different roles and what their purpose is. <coughs> so firstly, we have the thumb. This holds the rest of the hand together is crucial to the hand working, and so this is the apostle's role. The apostle works with all the other gifts mentioned in Ephesians and holds them together. Paul in the Bible was an apostle going around encouraging the others to be released in their gifts and helping them in their role. Next we have the pointer finger, and that is for the prophet. The prophet gives direction and points to God and his purposes. The middle finger is the longest finger, and that is the evangelist. The evangelist is the one who reaches furthest outside of the church and into the world to spread the good news of the gospel. Next, we have the ring finger. We associate this with relationship, so we can use it to remind us of a pastor who is people-orientated, wanting to care for and support in others. And finally, the pinky finger is the base support and foundation Nothing will slip out of your grip because of it. And this can represent the teacher who opens up the word of God to us, the foundation to build our lives upon, and they don't allow the truth to slip out. Again, all are needed throughout the church home. And you might find you are doing one of those things naturally with um, or for one or two other people. You might be having a Bible study with a friend, for example, and you don't necessarily need to do these things in the church building at the front. You don't have to go abroad to be an evangelist. Some of these things you can do in your area, in your everyday life. But if you would like to make it more formal, 
you should consider some further training and you can talk to Hannah and Gareth about where to start with that. But what I would say is to make sure you've got your foundations right first, the dedication, commitment and faithfulness. You know, some people will look at others, their gifts and think, oh, I couldn't do what they do. I've got some good news for you. You're probably not called to do what they do. Nothing anyone does is insignificant. In fact, your gift, your talent, your skill sets will be needed to build the kingdom. And certainly, if you're part of this fellowship, we will need what you have to offer. And again, in the DNA book are a list of areas where we need people to serve in. And there's an activity you can do if you're not sure of your area. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about us being one body. And just as a person needs all the parts of the body to function properly, we need all of you with your various strengths and abilities to make this work. I'm sure you all know Edmund. He's on week 50 now. <clears throat> well done, Edmund. But when he was here just a few weeks in, he wanted to get stuck in and help. And he was given the important task of putting the revived church sign out on the street each week. Now that sign advertises our presence and shows people how to find us. That might be a role that someone wouldn't think of, but it's with Edmund's servant heart that he faithfully serves us in that way. From Canada, brother Andre Bassett was sickly from birth, orphaned at the age of 12. At the age of 25, he applied to enter the monk order of the Congregation of the Holy Cross, but was turned down because of his weak health and that he was illiterate. After appealing a year later, he was finally accepted and they placed him as doorkeeper of the Notre Dame College in Montreal. Now, some people might have been offered that role, might have carried it out, but with a hard heart, an ungrateful attitude, questioning, thinking it unfair. They might have looked to move positions as soon as possible, but Brother Andre was humble and trusting of God and stayed in that role for 40 years. 40 years at the door welcoming people. Through his humility, he inspired faith as he conversed with visitors and souls were drawn to God and lives were changed. He also prayed with people and saw many healings. Towards the end of his life, he received as many as 80,000 letters a year of people asking for his prayers for them. And he said, it's with the smallest brushes that the artist paints the best pictures. The artist was God, and Brother Andre was the smallest and most humble brush. No matter how we're serving, if we have the right attitude and seek the Lord in it and through it, then God will use it for his glory. There will be lots of jobs that people don't feel called to and are not necessarily named on the gifts I've gone through, but nevertheless need doing to make this building and church work. And nobody necessarily feels called to decorate a Christmas tree or move chairs for a meeting or do the words for the song or put the bins out or wash up and vacuum after an event. But just as you would within your own household, it takes everybody mucking in and doing what they can to get the jobs done. I know that there are people who the vast majority of you 
will never know about how they serve empty and nappy and other bins, making sure the toilet supplies are stocked, etc. They are amazing people. But it can't just be the same few faithful, else they get worn out, and then where would we be? I just want to add in briefly here that as I was thinking back to COVID days, looking back at the 2020 online services, I felt the Lord say, and I honestly have no idea who this is for, there were people who served, but because of the lockdowns, had to stop, and now they've not returned to serving. It might be that they can see new people in and for whatever reason, think they're not needed any longer. Can I tell you, this is not the case. You are very much needed, and a growing church means more vacancies to fill, actually. So please don't be an attender, be a participant. It's time to start serving again. And that's good advice for anyone here, actually. Don't be an attender, be a participant. I'm going to invite the, the band back up. My final thought on serving is what I referred to briefly at the beginning when I said that we should all be thinking about how and where we can serve, as that might look very differently to previous years for you for a variety of reasons. It might be that you've now got caring responsibilities for a loved one, a child or family, elderly family member or someone who's got health constraints. It might be that you yourself are going through a health issue and that means you can't do what you once did. It might be that you've got a new job giving you less time or your children have now grown up or you're single or you've finished paid employment and you find you've got more time on your hands. I was talking before Christmas to someone who'd retired and <clears throat> she said they, she was retired and she thought it was going to be time to lay back and start relaxing. But actually, the Lord was showing them that wouldn't be the case. I shared with them what Christine Kane, a Christian speaker, said. The world is all about retiring and consuming when you get older, but the scriptures are all about refiring and producing. I'm actually in awe of many of the older generations in our church when I see them leading and helping out with midweek programs such as 242 and toddler Tuesdays, turning up to help run baby and uniform bank. When we had our 100 year celebrations in November, I was part of the team serving the afternoon tea. <clears throat> it took me a good week to recover, <laughs> no word of a lie. <clears throat> so how the team who run the hospitality side of things after funerals and other occasions manage, I do not know. Hats off to them. They're a tightly well-honed, organized team, I know that. But seriously, I can't do what they do and I'm a little bit younger. Whatever your circumstances, whatever your availability, the Lord will have a way for you to serve those around you. And if you're part of this church, he have a plan for you to serve in this fellowship. I'm going to get in trouble with her for this. But if we ever had an example of that, it's our very own Lois. Despite facing a challenging health issue at the moment, Lois is still active on the leadership team and is part of the pastoral team, checking in on people to make sure they're okay and have all they need. In fact, she's commented in the past she wishes she was able to do more. I mean, really, there is a servant heart for you there. There is someone giving their all for the Lord. Amazing faithfulness, which spurs me on 
to want to do better. Your gift might be to text or ring someone to check in on them. It might be to pray for people or situations. It might be to take someone out for coffee or lunch. For every season, for every person, the Lord will have a work for you to do. You may have heard the saying, the Lord doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. If he's placed a gift within you, he'll help you to use it at the right time in the right way. I'm so thankful that we've moved away from the days with one metal pastor left to do all the work. We've got Hannah and Gareth who are both very talented, capable and gifted leaders. But even they can't run all of this between them. The amount that they put into our fellowship and do for us while managing everything else in their lives is phenomenal and I'm often in awe. But if we want to see this church maintain good standards throughout and yet still grow in whatever way the Lord leads, then it takes a team. It takes a family pulling together and serving one another in love. Serving can be hard. There can be times when it's monotonous, not so much fun. The last thing you want to do, it can be thankless. It's likely that it will be costly to you in some way or another. I'm selling it well here, aren't I? But again, I draw your example, your attention to the example of Jesus. Serving cost him literally his all. Like Gareth said last week, if we think Jesus is worth the cost, then we'll do it. I'll finish on this lovely encouragement from Hebrews 6.10, which gives me motivation to keep serving. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him if you has helped his people and continue to help them. In your own life, look for ways to serve those around you. If you are part of this family, ask a leader how to get started if you want to start serving or do more. Physically and spiritually, let's give what we've got, knowing we're helping to advance the kingdom helping those around us in the community and our own fellowship, that we'll receive blessings as a natural outpouring from the giving of ourselves, but most importantly, that we're doing it all for him, our saviour, so that on the day we meet him, we can look forward to hearing, well done, good and faithful servant.